you do meet, old man, it's you I want to see. Not the police. Remember that, won't you? <laughs> Don't be so gloomy. After all, it's not that awful. But what the fella said, in Italy, for 30 years under the Borgias, they had warfare, terror, murder, and bloodshed, but they produced Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci, and the Renaissance. In Switzerland, they had brotherly love. They had 500 years of democracy and peace, and what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So long, Holly. take a film out of the wonderful book a thousand and one movies you must see before you die discuss it analyze it and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book my name is adam st john and my name is ian woodington and before we get started talking about this uh noir slash thriller slash comedy slash lots of different things yeah, Lots of different it's, things. It's, uh, it's a kitchen sink of a movie. It certainly is. Uh, which is, of course, we're talking about The Third Man. Um, we're going to give some recommends. Now, Ian, I'm going to go first. And uh, I have watched a, a bunch of different kinds of movies lately. Some of them good. Some of them intentionally bad. And so I want you to pick. I have a, I, on, my, on my little piece of paper here, I have a movie that I think is well-made, you know, well-acted, all that good stuff. And I have a movie that's actually directed well and acted well, but the story's kind of dated and it is kind of bad in a, in a certain way. Do you want, like, a, a good recommend or a bad recommend this week? Well, well let's, let's go with the bad recommend, but tell me both, because okay. I'm interested. So my good recommend is High Life. Um, the Claire Oh, Denis yeah, movie. I just watched that the other night. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I really liked it. Yeah, I, I thought it was good. Solid. Um, I really actually probably liked the, the, all the opening stuff, like the first 20 minutes with basically just him and the baby. I thought that I loved that to pieces. It's fantastic. Any Anything parent child, but specifically father daughter. Oh, the tug in the heartstrings oh, a yeah. lot. Yeah. But here's my bad recommend. And if I was to tell you that I watched a movie directed by Barry Levinson, starring Michael Douglas and Demi Moore, Set in the Seattle area. I, would I piqued your interest maybe a little bit? You watched Disclosure. I watched Disclosure. Because I, of Big Mouth. Be, well, because, because of Big Mouth and because of How Did This Get Made. Yeah. Um, that film, Liz had... So we were... We, I think we have one left of Big Mouth. Um, I, I, I mean, I'm say right now, I haven't seen any of Big Mouth. I know of its existence, but oh, you I haven't. haven't seen it. This new season is fucking phenomenal. I've heard it's a great show. It's hilarious. I am genuinely... I haven't been laugh. I haven't laughed this consistently through an animated show since... I don't know, like the third season of Archer. But so, but Nick Kroll is a frequent guest on How Did This Get Made? Right. Because I, I follow that podcast pretty exclusively. Um, it came on and it was streamable. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll watch this. Oh my God. It is terrible. But here's the thing. And so here's, so basically the plot is Michael Douglas is expecting a raise. He works for this tech company and um, he doesn't get it. And instead it goes to Demi Moore, who is outside of the division and it's kind of this thing. And Michael Douglas and Demi Moore used to be lovers back in the day. And the same night that he doesn't get the promotion and she does, he goes up to his office and there's a, a sexual encounter. Well, I'm going to leave it at that for now, because ultimately what happens in the movie is Michael Douglas says that he was sexually assaulted by Demi Moore. And of course, she claims the other thing. And then, of course, it becomes like a, a not a, quite a courtroom thriller because it's just mediation. But there's the oh, this side's going to get this evidence. Oh, we got this. And then like at the last minute, there's a twist and and Demi Moore has the uh, the advantage. But then, you know. Michael Douglas is going to come in in the last minute and, and, and win. And 
Well, it's part of a, that long series of Michael Douglas type, you know, uh, basic, fatal attraction. Basic instinct. Basic instinct, yes, where exactly. he was, somebody decided that Mark, Michael Douglas was a heartthrob and should be in all these very steamy, erotic yeah. movies, yeah. which... Now, here's what I want to say, though, is I think I think Michael Douglas, Demi Moore, um, Donald Sutherland, I think, ever, actually, I, I think the performances in the movie are are great. I think everybody in it is... is they're they're pitching a hundred. They they are doing what they are doing with the script. I think it's I don't think it's poorly directed. I think some of the early internet slash VR stuff in it is not great, but it's also ninety four, so it is what it was. It, it's dated, but maybe not incorrect, you know. And of course, I loved seeing them on the ferry. I loved seeing them in Pike Place Market because it is very it is a very Seattle thing. Like I think Michael Douglas as the business guy with the backpack is such a Seattle thing. Even for '94, I was like, oh my god, this. Of course, they fucking film this in Seattle. It just makes all the sense in the world. It is so problematic now, especially in this Me Too, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer world that we are living in. That it it is just like, what are we doing? What was this movie? But I can't I can't say that I was not entertained because I absolutely was. Well, because they're fantastic actors, all three yeah, of them. I, it, I mean And even 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 I'll watch the, anything Michael Douglas is in, I'm yeah. not gonna lie. And even in the absurdity of the plot where it gets to sometimes, I was still in it. I, I really enjoyed what was going on in, in, in all its craziness. Um so I think it's I think it's on HBO. So I think if I think it's like deep in their catalogs, and I think that's how that's how I that's how I watch it. I think so. Anyways, if you have an HBO subscription, you can. They have a lot of old movies. You know, you have to scroll really far unless you're searching for it specifically. Um, but like you know, get a bottle of wine. Know what you're gonna know that you're not settling in for a great movie. It's not gonna be a huge thinker, and um, and just enjoy, especially like for our age, like. Like to 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 kind of vaguely remember things from that time, but not specifically, and be like, oh yeah, that was a that was a time of this kind of thing. It was such. Well, a- as soon as I put the trailer on to show Liz to give her some context for the Big Mouth episode, I was like, oh, it all just came rushing back. I was like, oh, I wish I didn't remember this. Yeah, and and a great small um, Dennis Miller role in the movie too. Oh God, it's it's so. Anyways. Was this a you and Melissa watch this together? No, I watch it on oh, my own. Okay. Yeah, this was, a, I think, I, either she was at work or I had spare time or whatever it was. But yeah, just a silly, fun, kind of crazy movie. And I, I have plenty of these kind of recommends, but some of them are just bad, bad. And this was entertaining bad. So um, well, it's, it's from a Michael Crichton book or he yes. worked on the screenplay as yeah, well no, it or was, something? It, like, it, yeah, it was a book and then like it was, he, like he sold the rights for like a million bucks. It was some crazy, crazy number, but that was back in the Michael Crichton. Basically, it seemed like if it was a book adaptation, it was either Michael Crichton or John Grisham. So oh, yeah, yeah. it was in that heyday yeah, of those. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so there you go. My high life is probably my real one, but I didn't talk about it and I won't. But it's on Prime. But disclosure. My official recommendation for this week, which I can't believe I'm actually saying, but fuck hey, it, why not? We gotta talk about those kind of movies at some point too. I was I was thinking about High Life, and I also saw Ad Astra as well. So I've been going through a wave of of those sorts of science fiction movies, science fact movies, and whatever I, you want to call it. I almost chose High Life for next week's episode, um, but I I decided against it. You got something better? I do. Awesome. Um, so, anyways, that's my recommend, Ian. What do you got this week, my friend? So I don't know if it's streaming on a on a on a streaming service or anything like that. Liz and I like to uh, what we call Netflix analog. So we'll go into the other room, we'll go up to the movie wall, and we'll pull out a couple of things that we're interested in, yeah. and then sort of narrow it down. Oh, I love hearing as you, that. As you do. we do that too. We call it. I, do you, you have a, we call it Netflix analog. I don't know if we have a name for it, but we end up like picking like eight. It has to be eight, and then we flip a coin, and eventually we just get to a, a winner. Oh, and you just you narrow it down. Yeah. You go through the the knockout stages. Yep. 
All right. I love it. That's great. You can steal the Netflix analog thing. You can have that if you want. That's my well, gift to you. I'll have to come up with a different name, though. Yeah. Yeah. I can't just take well, it. Well, I can't, yeah, I can't come, can't come onto your patch and, yeah. you know, start fucking with that. Anyway, so we're, um, we're in the mood for something gritty, something a bit gnarly. Yeah. Um, I suggested uh, No By Mouth, which is Gary Oldman's director debut. Great movie with Ray Winston. Okay. Um, but we ended up going with another Ray Winston film, 44-inch Chest. And this is uh, directed by a guy who hasn't done a ton of stuff. He did a film with Keanu called um, Henry's Crime, but the guy's name Malcolm Venville. Uh, and it's written by David Sinkto and uh, Louise Mellis, who directed or who wrote Gangster Number no. One, which is a fucking fantastic British gangster film, and then also Sexy Beast, which is one of my favorite films of all time. So did you say who's in this cast already? Yeah. Are you getting to that? I, I, because, I'm getting to holy that. Holy shit. Ray Winston, Ian McShane, John Hurt, Tom Wilkinson, Stephen Delane, and Joanna Whaley. Holy shit. That is a stacked cast for yeah. a first-time director and a script from the guys that wrote. So obviously they had worked with winston and ian mcshane before because they're both in in sexy beast but i'm gonna give this just really quick if you have an acorn tv subscription okay that's where it is all right just but that's it a little shout out for for acorn never heard of them but why not um so yeah in this movie uh also has a a small cameo from stephen burkoff who pops up in a ton of these these great character actor uh he was in girl with a dragon tattoo the david fincher remake and uh, i remember him from the terrible roger moore james bond film octopussy oh, oh that's not one of the bonds i've seen my okay friend. all right but, although i did by the way I, I picked up the uh i mean this is old now but the one that was like all the way through skyfall um, oh okay set yeah, yeah on blu-ray and it was uh it was it was slightly used at half price books for 80 bucks and i had a 50% off coupon so i got it for 40. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I was pretty excited about yeah, that. Yeah, man, you you knocked that out of the park. Well Anyways, done. Sorry. You excited was... to go through them? Eventually, yeah. 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 All right. Anyway, so 44 inch chest. So sorry. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm just excited that you you have them now. Yeah, i do. And that you're going to you're going to go through them. I've seen like the first I've seen like the first 8 and the last 8. Okay. But, uh, so there's a lot of weirdness in the middle. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to get it's going to get it's going to get funky. We're going to get weird. It is. And Roger Moore did that much longer than he should have. He was pushing 60 when he did the last one. Why are we talking? We're not supposed to be talking about Bond. Let's get off this. Let's get on to 40 chest. chest. Yeah. Uh, so in this, uh, Ray Winston is this kind of gangster-ish character. When the movie, the movie has one of the best openings ever. It just kind of starts. We're in this house that's beat to shit. Uh, there's obviously been an altercation that's happened, some domestic violence. And he's laying on the floor. There's broken glass. There's a couch that's all cut open. There's all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's laying there on the floor, just a wreck, just a shell of a man. And Tom Wilkinson is there with him trying to coax him up and to, uh, to get him up and out. And he keeps playing on repeat. Harry Nilsson's Can't Live If Living Is Without You. It's just... Tom Wilkinson says it, so it's gone quiet. The song has stopped. It goes quiet. And Tom Wilkinson says, come on, mate. You can't just lie there. And he reaches over touches the cd player and just puts it on again there's just something about that little detail because he just casually looks and he presses play and then he goes back to just laying there and just something about the way that they frame it and the timing on it is fantastic anyway so if you've seen sexy beast you know that you're in for some incredible dialogue these guys write some quick-witted just amazingly funny very dark dialogue and of course ian mcshane gets most of the good stuff he plays this wonderful gay character in this group of kind of washed up gangsters and um so what has happened is they've um 
they found out that this the Ray Winston character's wife's cheated on him, and she's going to leave him for another man. And they uh, track down this guy, and they end up kidnapping him and putting him in a wardrobe. And the, the whole movie is pretty much set in this one location, trying to get him to kill this guy. And he can't do it. And it is... I know the premise sounds kind of no, no, weak oh, no, and, and thin. No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, I know. But it, it does, it's a little thin, right? But what makes it, obviously, is their interactions, especially the way that McShane and John Hurt play with each other. Because John Hurt, at this point in his career, this is 2009, he's coming to the end of his career, um, and he's just this old, grizzled, nasty piece of shit that just has no brain-mouth filter. What, whatever is in his head just comes out, and it's awful, awful stuff. And he bats back and forth with McShane, because McShane is... Uh, he's not flamboyantly gay, but he's definitely got that... I'm gay and I love being gay and I'm going to use it to make you uncomfortable kind of edge, which is just fantastic. The two of them, I could just, I wish I had a movie of just the two of them just bitching at each other like old queens because it's utterly fantastic. But it has, you know, it, it takes some dark turns and there's this wonderful moment where the film does have some amazing insight into to marriage. It's got one of the best conversations that I've ever heard about marriage in it. He's So he's asked the, the other guys to leave the room and he pulls the guy out of the cupboard and he... He just, he talks about the day-to-day of being, you know, you've only seen this version of her, you know, she's only ever given you the, well, me, I've been here for 30 years and I've seen everything. I bet she's never farted in front of you. That kind of, that kind of level of dialogue. And he talks about, you know, it it cuts away because a lot of it is played in his mind and he's hallucinating a little. Anyway, there's the set changes to inside their bedroom inside him and his wife's bedroom and he's got the guy there obviously they're not there but he's taking him through you know what their marriage is like and talking about how you know she's been bitching at you for that that dripping faucet in the kitchen for five years and then finally you don't know why you get up off your ass and you go and fix it and she may not notice it and that doesn't matter because you know maybe one day she will notice and it'll make her smile or you know just the dialogue like that you know love being hard work you know it is it is work you don't just get to show up and have the best version of each other yeah it's, it's really insightful and just utterly incredible dialogue like the whole way through yeah. anyway, so that's 44 inch chest awesome i i love it it's one of i i've got i'm a sucker for british gangster films anyway and you it are. fits right in there with it's sexy beast yeah, and yeah. uh lockstock and oh it's not quite as over the top as lockstock it's a bit more it grounded like than yeah, that yeah, yeah. but yeah. long good friday and and things like that it's definitely up there with all of those kind of movies that are my i wouldn't even call them guilty pleasures but that is that is my niche yeah i, I would say you are a fan of those yeah so that's 44 inch chest great awesome Let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about The Third Man. The 70th anniversary of this movie. Not yeah. to the date or anything, but no, no, the no. year. Because it, uh, it premiered at Cannes. Yeah. So Cannes is in like May, June. So we're, we're off a little bit. So uh, The Third Man, directed by Carol Reed and written by Graham Greene. I do, I do like, I didn't know this before, um, that Greene basically wrote the novelette uh, as sort of the research and prep for the screenplay, which I think is fun. Yeah, that's, and that's that's happened a few times throughout his where a writer will do a screenplay and a book simultaneously, some to varying degrees of success like this one, and then Thomas Harris, who wrote the script for Hannibal while he was also writing the book for it, and neither one of those turned out fantastic. I'm not quite sure where exactly it went wrong, but it, it did. It did. Yeah. There's yeah. A, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the cast, uh, Joseph Cotton stars as Holly Martins. Um, Alita Valley plays Anna Schmidt. Um Orson Welles, of course, plays the infamous Harry Lime. And I read something, too, that I thought was very funny. Of course, that lime is a shade of green. Graham Greene? 
Ooh, oh. coincidence. Mm. Uh, and then some of our supporting players here. We have Trevor Howard playing Major Calloway, or is it Callahan? Or is it Callahan? <laughs> no, I'm I'm English, not Irish. It's Calloway. Um, Bernard Lee uh, playing Sergeant Payne, who is just I find it fun in this movie. You're gonna get to know him very intimately as you go through the James Bonds because he is the yes. original M. Yes, that yeah. I did. That I no. know. Um, Paul Hordbiger uh, is um, plays. The uh, the uh, the porter of the building, Carl. Yes. Yep. Uh, Ernst Deutsch plays Baron Kurtz. Siegfried Breyer plays Papescu. Eric Ponto plays Doctor Doctor Winkle. Don't say Winkle. Not Winkle. It's Winkle. It's Winkle. Uh, Wilford Hyde White plays Crabben. Uh, Hedwig Blebtru uh, plays Anna's old landlady. That's fun. Anybody else? No, you pretty much got the whole cast cool. right there. But... I mean, mostly it's 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 the it's. It's Joseph Cotton, Alita Valley, Orson Welles, and then to some extent Trevor Howard. Yeah, those but, are those are the major yeah. players. Um, so like I said, this came out in 1949. Uh, Carol Reed has one other film in the book, Odd Man Out. I have not seen this. It's supposed to be fantastic. It's supposed, it's supposed to be an amazing James Mason performance. Well, there you go. Well, it, it's in the book, so I, I haven't have seen it either. Um, so getting to accolades. Um, uh, in uh, that year at the Academy Awards, it had a couple of nominations. Um. Uh, Carol Reed was up for Best Director. He lost to Joseph Mankiewicz for All About Eve, which, again, I think by all accounts is supposed to be a very good movie. Um, it lost editing to King Solomon's Mines. I have no fucking idea what that movie it's is. A, it's an Alan Quartermain movie set in Africa, Diamond Mines, and that sort of high adventure sort of film. Cool. Um, but it did win cinematography, and I would say rightfully so. And I, what I, a crazy good year, though, because you've also got Sunset Boulevard, yes. All About Eve, Asphalt Jungle... Yeah. impressive that it, this little British film just came out of nowhere yeah. and kind of stole the limelight there for a second. Uh, at the BAFTAs, it won Best British Film. It lost Best Film to Bicycle Thieves. It won the Grand Prize at Cannes. Um, uh, he picked up a DGA nomination, but he lost to All the King's Men. And I think that must have must have been with uh, release dates and stuff because All the King's Men won Best Picture the year before. Right, so it came out later in the in the States. Yeah. Um, it was uh, the National Board Review said it was the top foreign film of all time, and as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention again now, uh, it is number one on the British Film Institute's hundred best films of all time. And I, I have the top ten if you're interested. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. I thought I knew what the second one was, but I probably don't. All right, so Lean is up there a bunch, right? Uh, well, here, here's the list. Okay. On the BFI's list, we have The Third Man, Brief Encounter, Lawrence of Arabia, The Thirty Nine Steps, Great Expectations, Kind Hearts and Coronets. Kez, Don't Look Now, Red Shoes, and Train Spotting are the BFI's top ten British films of like all that. time. I like that train spotting. I like the train spotting sneaks in there That's amongst great. all these great, wholesome old British films and then fuck you heroin. You gotta have it. You gotta yeah. have it on there. Why not? Um uh IMDB top two fifty. One sixty one, I have 167 as well. Great, okay. Great. On either side of Gone with the Wind and Blade Runner. Get Gone with the Wind off of this I know. fucking list. I know. Um, I know. Do you have the review? I mean, do you have... Do I have the review? The review? I have the review. The fucking review. Who else would From I go Mr. to? Mr. Goddamn, you're a son of a bitch and I love you to death, Bosley Crowther. Unnecessarily uh, harsh, he used to be called. Oh. I guess he had a reputation. He? he had a reputation. Okay, well... Uh, well, I I like this review. Do you want? Would you? Do you no, want? No, please. Read? Oh, okay. So I have a lot of it highlighted. So I, I sorry, I might read more of this than I intend to. That's but fine. Here we go. The haunting music of a zither, the ring of Vienna's cobbled streets, and a ghostly Graham Greene story about a manhunt in that seamy capital flows smoothly. Oh, 
that in that semi capital flow smoothly and beautifully together into one piece of top screen artifice in Carol Reed's most recent and most touted mystery thriller romance, The Third Man. Trailing continental glories and faint echoes of that zither's weird refrains, this extraordinarily fascinating picture began a run at the Victoria yesterday, but we feel we are bound to inform you that our key word is artifice in that thoroughly enthusiastic introductory paragraph. For the simple fact that the third man, for all that awesome hoopla it has received, is essentially a first-rate contrivance in the way of melodrama, and that's all. It isn't a penetrating study of any European problem of the day, except that it skirts around black markets and the sinister anomalies of zones. It doesn't present any message. It isn't a point of view. It is just a bang-up melodrama designed to excite and entertain. In the light of the buzz about it, this is something we feel you should know. Once it is understood clearly that there is no need for further, oh, there is no need for further asides. For into this strangely offbeat story of a young American visitor's attempts to get to the bottom of a mystery of a friend's dubious death, in quotes, in Vienna streets, Mr. Reed has brilliantly packaged the whole bag of his cinematic tricks, his whole range of inventive genius for making the camera expound. That's why, that's why we like Bosley Crowther. Yeah. And he goes on to say some other really nice things about Carol Reed, especially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, this is the, so this is the second time I've seen this movie. And the first time I watched it, I think I had a lot of the mindset of, this is a good movie. Oh, in the watch, same way of something like Citizen Kane. Wa- or, yes. Yeah, yeah. Watch this movie. It is good. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. And I, you know, I was like, oh, and it's a criterion. It's like, oh, shit. Okay, I got to, I got to put my fucking analytical mindset onto this thing. And then I got to the end of it the first time. I was like, no, it's not that serious. Like, no. and there are certainly serious moments yes. within it. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, no, what? No, I, I don't need to take it as seriously as I as I think I felt I needed to. In fact, did you find that piece of trivia that Scorsese wrote a thesis on it, and his professor dismissed it? They're like, oh, forget it. It's just a noir. Oh, I think uh, I don't know, but it does sound familiar. No. Um, and I also uh, from Ebert's great movies book. I don't know if if you have anything there that you want to say. I, I got another piece. No, 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 go for it. Um, so he said, The third man is like the exhausted aftermath of Casablanca. Both have heroes who are American exiles awash in a world of treachery and black market intrigue. Both heroes love a woman battered by the war. But Casablanca is bathed in hope of victory, while the third man already reflects the Cold War years of paranoia, betrayal, and the bomb. The hero doesn't get the girl in either movie, but in Casablanca, Ilsa stays with the resistance leader to help in this fight, while in the third man, Anna remains loyal to a rat. Yet Harry Lyme saved Anna, a displaced person who faced certain death. Holly will never understand what Anna did to survive the war, and Anna has absolutely no desire to tell him. That's just part. That's like in the middle of the review. I just that was the part I liked. Yeah. Um, this movie currently has a ninety-nine, so close to that hundred uh, percent critical all review, the way. and ninety-three audience. So yeah, well liked uh, by anybody who has viewed this movie. Ian. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what the third man is? All right, is? so Holly Martin, played by Joseph Cotton, sort of, uh, I wouldn't call him bumbling, but he's certainly not on the level he all the way. He seems very much to blow with the wind. Yeah, definitely. I'm just going to... I'm just going to go to Vienna. I've been invited here to work with an old I, school chum of mine. Clearly, I have nothing holding me down in America. He is, he's a writer. Yeah. He writes sort of uh, dime store trash westerns, um, <laughs> which how, how Bernard Lee knows about those... Is I mean I get that there are the American zone and the this is post just post World War II and and uh, Vienna is a city divided into four sections and then it has the the sort of neutral zone and it's British American Russian German German right so as as 
the same with, with Germany was divided up with the different zones, or the, uh, Berlin was, rather. And so he's invited there to come work with an old school chum of his, but finds out that as soon as he get here, he gets there that Harry Lyme, his friend played by Orson Welles, has been killed in a mysterious car accident. He was run down in the streets. That's such a shame. So now he's, he's kind of stuck there in, in Vienna. He's got no job and no money, and so... He meets up with the the Callaway character, who's a, a he's a major, right? I believe he's a major. Yeah, and uh, he offers him, okay, we'll get you out on the the four o'clock plane tomorrow. But these something doesn't sit right with him about Harry Lyme's death, and so he decides to stay and kind of be a thorn in everybody's side and and get to the bottom of it until we find out that spoiler alert: Harry Lyme is not in fact dead. Wait, what? He is very much alive and well. Did we watch the same movie? No. Oh, Apparently okay. not. Okay. But anyway, Harry Lyme is very much alive and he finds out what sort of shady business that Harry was in through uh, this actress who uh, we assume that they're lovers. Uh, uh, Orson Welles, the Harry Lyme character, has been very favorable to her. He's helping her out with a fake passport and yep. fake papers. Otherwise, she'll be taken back to Russia. And so, you know, he, he has to make a moral decision. Does he help his friend or does he sell him out yep. for the, the terrible things that he's done, yes. including diluting penicillin? <sighs> yeah, that, uh, you know, in, in a movie that doesn't have anything very graphic or, or disturbing in it at all, that scene at the hospital... The hospital does the, the exact job it needs to. And, and in a way that isn't graphic. It, yep. it lets you fill in. Yeah. You know. It's one of the great... It's like Seven. You think you've seen the murders. You really haven't. You've just yeah. seen... Yeah, that's a ah, yeah, that and they're all kids too. Oh yeah. god, being a dad, that, watching that scene sucked. Yeah, with the the teddy bear that yes. she takes oh, out of the crib. Oh. Yeah, that's oh, rough. I didn't like that at all. But anyway, that's yeah. that's very basic rundown yeah. of what happens in the third man. So, um, this movie, uh, there are no Dutch angles in it at all. Not a one. Not one. Not wait, wait, no, wait. I'm just I'm like every this. angle our is producers. A our producers are like, wait, wait. Yes, almost every shot in this movie is it. <laughs> to the point where he was given multiple levelers yeah. at the end of the film. <laughs> so, do we just want to bring up now the whole kind of bullshit controversy about who directed this fucking movie and who wrote it and all this? Yeah, well, it's the Wells being the prima donna that he was. I mean, he improvised some dialogue. He did not direct himself by all accounts that rumor is bullshit yeah. carol reed was the only director I, I on do, this film i do like um you know a lot of people have said is that you know but carol reed was probably very aware of his directing style i mean there's no way he didn't see citizen kane and there's you know a fair amount of dutch angles in that movie um so it, it, to say that to say that Orson Welles directed the movie when he was fucking barely on set to begin with. Oh, they couldn't find him. They just were sounds ludicrous. Two weeks, he, he showed up two weeks late and they had to shoot with doubles and yeah. all kinds of... He wouldn't go in the sewers either. Yeah, so do you know who I think the unsung hero of this movie is? Guy Hamilton. Oh, the, the AD that stood in yeah. for for <laughs> Orson Welles. Yeah. I, come on! And James Bond comes up again because he would go on to direct. Indeed. indeed including indeed. one of the, the big famous ones, Goldfinger. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, I again, I think that's ludicrous. Although, this, I think it's a great time to bring to bring this thing up. So yeah, obviously there's, there's that very infamous monologue he says at the end of the the Ferris wheel scene about you know. Um, oh come on! Don't be so no, gloomy. Yes, it's like the fella said. In Italy, they had violence, murder, terror, war, bloodshed, all that. 
in in uh, where is it in in, in, in Switzerland. Switzerland? They had brotherly love. They had five hundred years of peace and democracy. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. So long. Um. So, but and and, and I I do love. It. I think it's a very fun, witty piece of dialogue. And I don't know. It's funny. We talked last week. We talked about how um, charismatic uh, Clint Eastwood was in the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. I don't know if there's been if there's somebody so effortlessly cool. Oh, Orson and just Wells. endlessly charming. And um, I I listened to uh, a ticket to Tangiers, one of the many the lives of Harry Lime um, audio. Uh, right, because uh, it had shows. it had uh, it had a couple of different radio spinoffs, yes. but one of them Orson Welles was involved in himself. Well, yeah, and and so this was when the uh, he it, it was included in the Criterion um, supplemental stuff, and so I listened to it and. Uh, I, a couple of things I wrote down from just that. Um, the music into it is very reminiscent of the Twilight Zone, like the whole like like the intro, and it, obviously it's all it's mostly expository, but like just Orson Welles's speaking voice and his his just his demeanor when he when he talks it was it was just it was just crazy and and to know that I think he wrote. It wrote and starred in this in this thing, and the dialogue is great. It, it I found it very entertaining, and it was a couple things too that I liked. Um, because I had read somewhere that as a, as a as a way of keeping um Holly Martin's down, he keeps calling him old man like it's an insult. But the way that um and maybe maybe he did this on purpose, but in the in the um the a ticket to Tangiers as Harry Lime, he says old man a lot, like to people like, Oh, Hey old man, like, you know, can you help me with this thing? So I don't think it's as derogatory as I've, I've as like scholars have decided that, Ooh, when he calls him old man, he's actually keeping him down because it's a way of keeping control of Holly Martin's. I, I don't think that that's true. Um, but yeah, I just, so it's so effortless. His charm is yeah. just, it's just astounding. Ah, fucking Orson Welles. What? It, it, it's the career that, it's the career that never was. Yes, he did have a career, and he found minor glimmers of success here and there. But talk about what could have been. Yeah. Had you know he not gone for the throat with the first movie with Citizen Kane, and went right after William Randolph Hearst, and of course William Randolph Hearst stopped him from ever having control of any of his projects ever again. Yeah. It's, it's such a shame. Yeah, who it's... who knows what unmade masterpieces went because of him being as ballsy as he was first time out of the gate. Yeah. Now, uh, this, how different is, is this movie of if Cary Grant is Holly Martin's? Oh, it's a completely different movie. There's something so pathetic about Joseph Cotton. And I yeah, don't he mean plays that. clueless yeah. so well. And, and, and it's hard to not see the, the, the tie between this and Citizen Kane and their friendship in both, in both movies. It's, I, I don't, I, I mean, I understand that Cary Grant has more star power than Joseph Cotton, but I just, his, his just, I, yeah, it's, he's not buffoonish. He's not an idiot, but he just, he's almost like a helpless child. Yeah. He has, you, you feel that he has no experience outside of, you know, whittling away at his little trash novels. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, and then some of the other people up for um, Harry Lime I read was Noel Coward, Robert Mitchum, and uh, David Niven. And I, I like Niven, David Niven. I, I love David Niven. He would have been on it fantastically. And, and again, had that same sort of effortless charming. We talked about that at length in A Matter of Life and Death. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Wells is just, I, I don't know, man. I, I love his smile. He has that, he's, he's got this way of giving the smile that isn't really a smile the first time we, we see him and we realize that he's not dead, that wonderful little yeah. device of, you know, the, the actress 
lover that he has. Anna. Anna, yeah. She, um, it's, yeah, so, she says, you know, the only person that the cat liked was him. And then, of course, cat goes out the building and, and finds him hiding in the shadows. I, I do love that shot as the oh, camera pushes through the plants and then looks down. And we, oh, yeah, that was great. That's yeah, great the camera shot. work in this film is it's, it's good. The, 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 the cinematographer, I think, is my unsung hero, the Robert Krasker. That makes D- sense. Despite the number of Dutch angles in the film, which there are. Yes, there are too many. Well, it's funny, too, because so there's a there's a moment uh and I think it's when it's when Anna and um, Holly go back to I think it's I think it's Harry's apartment, and um, Harry's talking to the uh, the porter, and I think she's on the phone. I, I I might have this wrong, but when when the camera cuts to her, she's it's it's dead on. But when they cut back to them, I remember I took note of this because like I really wanted to bring this up. It was at a Dutch angle, and and it made me think like I would love to have the time, and like maybe like a grant to like go through and like really, really break down the Dutch angles and go is is there any particular moments or or, or is is, it, and I, I hope the answer is yes. But is Carol Reed using the Dutch angles like specifically? Like are we really only using the the, the Dutch angles when? something important or revelatory or whatever is going on. Or is, is it a moment of, I've always felt like he uses them in moments of when he's trying to misdirect you. Oh, or sure. Or when we're not getting, we're getting bits of the information or we're getting a lie or we're getting something. And we have to say, is this helpful? Is it relevant? Is it not? It, because the Dutch angle is there to provoke sort of unease. Yes, exactly. That's what it was designed for. But, but in this case, it feels like it's a, it's like a red herring or it's a trigger. But like, oh, you should pay attention to this. Yeah. This might be relevant, but it's it also hard, might not. But it, it's hard when it happens all the time. Yeah, it is. You know, it, I, yeah. It, 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 lose, it definitely loses its power. Yeah. A yeah. little bit. Yeah. I, yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean, if it, it, it's so pervasive in the movie, it's hard to. Yeah. And you, I think you come to be like, oh, God, another one of these. But then he'll do it again and he'll use it so well, like the the during the final running around down in the sewer scene, the moment before where Harry comes in and he's at the top of that building, the, the bombed out building, and he's looking down the street and he's looking at where all of the, the lookouts are posted. And you're like, God, I love the Dutch angle again. You know yeah. I mean? You get to the point where you're sick of it and then he does something special with it and you're like, ah, I can't hate you for that. Do you, do you know uh, who my, or not who, what my unfortunate backup unsung hero was going to be? Oh, yeah. Vienna. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, you can't, you could, but you can't buy that kind of production design. No, because like they, they went to Vienna post-World War II. I mean, yeah. this is 1948, 49, and yeah. they just shot the city as it was. I mean, they didn't have to really dress anything other and, than watering down some of the streets. And then, yeah, and then the, the discovery of the sewers. Is integral. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I, again, you think about some of the unfortunate things that happened in this movie, but um, Orson Welles... A being gone a lot of the time, and and B refusing to shoot in the sewers and, and having those some of those sets recreated at Shepperton. It led to them being like, well, let's film something, and and like I love the all the cuts and the edits and everything. Like it's almost like an episode of Scooby Doo with all of the, like like <laughs> running down one corridor and then it's a different one, but not in a funny way. I just mean that like in a very it's, it's very so tense, quick and yeah. and like you just don't it, it's. Yeah, it tense. It's great. And it, it's almost like... It must have been shocking to see at the time because it feels like a very fresh style of editing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do I do love all the sewer stuff. I think it, I think it's great. Um, and again, a shout out to my guy, 
Guy Hamilton for yeah. stepping in and, and doing. By the way, I, I read too that uh, the hands are Carol Reed's. Yes, yeah, yeah that's which I my probably um, my favorite shot in the movie. So Guy Hamilton apparently is a much smaller guy than uh, Orson Welles, and so to help fill out the shoulders of the of the trench coat, they kept the hanger in. Oh, to brilliant! Help prop yeah. that up. Yeah. I, I, this is just a fun piece of. Well, we gotta we gotta, we gotta make it look like it. Gotta so. do what we can. Yeah. Um, but speaking about uh, you got to do what you got to do, I think I think we could say that Carol Reed did a little too much during the shooting of this movie. Yeah, uh, and you know got hooked on uh, speed. Well, what was speed at the time? Yeah, both him and I think David Oselznik were both uh, pretty riddled with it as far as their their drug use. But yeah, they had three shots, three uh, shooting crews. Yeah, three yeah. crews shooting simultaneously. And he had to oversee everything himself. So what they say, he got like two hours of sleep. Yes. Most nights. Yep. Yeah. That's that's dedication. It's it's too it's, much it's dedication. dedication. But yeah, it's it's also uh, obsession and insanity. Yeah. At what cost, right? Yeah. I mean, and I think it, it was uh, somebody said perfect is the enemy of good, and that's fantastic. Unfortunately, Carol Reed achieved it, but you know. You have to keep that in mind. You know, you don't need to oversee everything. You don't. You don't have to look at every piece of marketing material. You don't have to be there when they're just shooting yeah. an insert of a cat running down a, a a stairwell or a cat running down the street. I mean, yeah. it's perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, and I mean, and that's if you've got a you know a good cinematographer and a good AD, you don't you don't have to worry so much about that. And you know, and and on, and on big shoots, right. I'm not just talking about the, this movie, but any any shoot where you're shooting in different countries and and like you know you're you're shooting you know a, a not pivotal character doing something, but you, you're shooting on location. Yeah, you don't you know you don't got to fucking fly across the goddamn ocean to go you know oversee it. You can you know and, and granted with technology nowadays you probably could you probably could just see it as it is from the other side of the ocean. But you know I, yeah, there's dedication and then there's just like obsessive compulsive but but it worked i mean luckily he pulled it off i mean it is the number one on the bfi's greatest british movies I, of all time i very I, true you know what i love about this film and, and what keeps every time i watch it because i've seen it probably about a half a dozen times and again like you i wasn't quite sure what to think of it the first time it was a little disarming but the thing about it that's disarming that i love is the simplicity of it yeah i mean it's a very it's very basic it's it's not they don't the plot isn't sort of overwrought and they they don't overcomplicate anything. No, which I like. We don't have like needless subplots. We don't have like um, it doesn't. It there's not anything that I could really cut. I'm amazed to find out that the American cut was 11 minutes shorter. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't. There's nothing that I would trim. It does. It's not a long movie. Yeah, and and I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know what the fuck it flies by, out. and it actually flies by yeah. faster every time I watch it, yeah. and and finding new details and new things to love about it. So, we're we're almost 40 minutes into this podcast. And we have not talked about the fucking zither music. Oh, yeah. I mean, that is, <laughs> it's the DNA that runs through the whole film. Well, and you talk about kind of the, uh, being disarming. Dis- disarmed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Talk about a score that really can't tell you what to feel. Because at one point, it's like when it opens, it's like, oh, oh okay. Oh, I'm, I'm in for a jaunty tale, right? And then, like, not the, at all. But then, but then it also kicks in during dramatic moments it's like what the fuck is going on but it, it doesn't it's definitely got its own character and it, it it feels like its own it does have a place in the film and it's got a it, what i'm trying to get to i think is that i don't i don't hate it it's not um it's not intrusive 
you know, hearing the score on its own, you could think, wow, this is a bit much, but I, there's something about it that works to disarm and to kind of keep you off kilter along with the Dutch. I think the, the whole point of this film is to misdirect you. No, I, I, and I, you, well, and while you're over there looking at this, oh, guess what? Harry Lime's alive. Sure. Yes. I, I don't, I don't hate the music. I'm not the biggest fan of it. I can see that. It's a yeah. bit, it can get relentless. Although this movie, this movie did something great that I really like. It pulls the music out. Well, that's in, in the final sequence. But oh, yeah, very true. But and it's I, just the sounds it, of. It also works the title of the movie in to the dialogue. Oh yeah, I love it. There was a third. There man. was a third man. I'm writing a book. It's called The Third Man. I love that back and forth. Yeah. yeah. At the, oh, all at, the stuff with Calloway and I. I love. Uh, I love the the Holly Holly Martin's the the Joseph Cotton character doesn't care about getting other people's names wrong, but he gets so offended later when. She accidentally calls him Harry. Like, you've been mispronouncing everybody's name in this movie, dude. Dude, calm down. So, okay, can we... That's a great... That's a part of this movie that I find really interesting. It's one of those little details. So... So she calls him Harry. It's right before we find out that he's still alive. And it's... if it, It's very clear, at least to me, that Holly Martins has got a thing for her. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... Like he's that's pretty he's obvious slow, by the end. Slowly starting to fall in love with this woman. Her intentions are very unclear, which I like. I like that we like because part of me is like, well, maybe she's falling for him too, and something like that, something like calling him Harry. Oh, sorry, I mean Holly. Sure, it could mean that she's thinking about him, but it it also could be like, oh, you know, my that's my former lover. I'm 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 sorry, I called you his name, but they they they're seeming to get close. So I don't. So when when eventually he tries to help her and get her on the train and you got to get out of Vienna and she doesn't do it, it reinforces what Ebert talked about, which is clearly Harry did more for her than we probably even know. And yet Harry is basically ready to go. Well, see ya. I don't need you. And and it's it's that moment with Anna and then obviously hearing about the diluting of the penicillin. Harry's despicable. Well, that's and that's what makes the the juxtaposition of the way that Orson Welles plays him versus how he's written. He's a callous piece of shit. Yeah, we should hate him. I mean, but then here comes Orson Welles oozing all this charm and, and, and sort of natural charisma. The way that he talks about, would you really care if one of those dots stopped moving? I love that conversation. It's like, holy shit! Like if somebody gave you twenty thousand pounds. Yeah, it just means that one of those dots stopped moving. Because you want to say, no, no, fuck you, Harry Line. But you're also like, God, Orson Welles, you're so cool. Yeah, you're so cool, Orson Welles. Can you just stop? Stop being. <laughs> Just stop being so charming. And stop it, it. It does. It it it's yeah. It, in almost every way, this movie fucks with the way that you should be watching movies. Like literally with the Dutch angles and like what's going on. How am I seeing this? And what am and, I like, hearing with yes. this strange music? That's, yeah, the that's, strange music. Yeah. It's like these this dialogue about the, one of those dots being a fucking human stopping to what if it stopped moving and yet. You're charmed by the guy saying the line, you yeah. know, like, you know, he's, he opens the door, subtly threatening Holly. Like, I'll fucking throw you out of this goddamn fucking Ferris wheel. Like, that's what, and that's another thing. I love all the things he doesn't say. Yes. Yeah. Cause you, you, for all we know, yeah, he could totally throw Holly off of that, that Ferris wheel. And there you and, go. And that's the movie. Despite their history going back as far as it does. It's cutthroat. I love that. And, and of course, and, they make reference to that at the beginning with the, the the dialogue at the beginning talking about how, you know, the, the rackets in the black market. And of course, there are amateurs. And then it cuts to the guy dead in the, the water. canal. Yeah. yeah, I really, really 
loved that opening montage. Um, I feel like in another movie with a different writer and a different director, it, it's it's three minutes longer and it's it, it's more like, you know, everything has a pace. I love it's a it's, it's Carol dark. Reed. Yeah, and he's just so playful. He's like, oh yes, I forgot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. I must tell you about Holly Martin. Yes. Oh my god, I fucking it was so conversational, and yet I love that it also never came back in. Yeah. Like like I it like that. Because you could have booked it, you could have done something at the end and bookended it with dialogue, but that yeah, would have been but it, a it's terrible idea. Like, it's it's almost like this this unnamed character of Carol Reed is like, God, I fucking I read something in the paper. Oh yeah, there was this thing. Yeah, like, it's, it's got that the you know you're having a conversation with somebody, but yet yeah, no, I got to tell you about this. Yeah, I love that. Did you listen to the alternate Joseph Cotton American version of the dialogue? And it's just faster, and there's no life to I, it. I didn't. And, yeah, I didn't. it's. And you know, and and not that that isn't the same thing, but um, it's spoken very much like the way characters talked in film noirs. Quick and can I talk a little bit about the Criterion Collection here for a second? Yeah. So I, a I read something interesting that the rights to this movie, uh, in particular, have, like are really were really kind of crazy. And yeah, that, it fell into public domain temporarily. And so Criterion had it for a bit, but then somebody else got the rights, and so that's why the Criterion version of the th- of the Third Man is kind of now it's kind of a rarity. Yeah. That you can't find it. Now, I only have it on DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray edition. I'm not... I I am not as big of a fan of the supplemental features on this one as I have been on, on other movies. I love they, that they had the radio show. And there's something else like that that they have. Uh, oh, like a live radio reading of The Third Man that I would have I would have liked to have listened to, but I didn't have time. But like the really... Like the, the main long documentary of the movie, I found... Very boring. It's there dry. Was, there was no life. I've, I've it. seen it and it's dry. It. I was like, oh man. I was like, please, you, you got to hook me back in here soon. And it just never did. Yeah. It became the thing that was just on in the background while I was doing other things, which is unfortunate. And I'm usually quite smitten with all of the Criterion supplemental materials, but I was n- not a fan. And it's on the so the I have the newer the Arrow uh, edition that those after they released it. At- oh, I I I like distributors. I know who makes movies. Are you, are you finished? I am. Did I am. you did you have your moment? Is it a British thing, Arrow? Yeah. The, so they're like. Oh, the- I'm British. I get British movies on my region free DVD player. Ah, I love you. I just don't, want don't the I want the very best. It's quality, not quantity, man. I, I know you do. Anyway, so they sourced from a brand brand new 4K thing that they did for an anniversary screening at Cannes. But that documentary is on there as well, and I started it, but I'd seen it before. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go through this it's again. It's just, it's just, it's a bit much. Yeah, I did, yeah, I didn't really a fan of myself. Um. Oh wait, so <laughs> I read this. I'm sure you did too. Let me just read this little paragraph of of something, and I want to get your immediate, your immediate and emotional reaction to this. You ready? In May of 1999, it was announced that John McTiernan would be directing a modern-day remake set in New York with Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor starring. It failed to materialize, presumably much to the light of famed screenwriter Buck Henry, who on hearing, uh, who on hearing uh, said, Enough is enough. If anyone tries to remake The Third Man, I'll take a shotgun to them. Yeah, I love it. Don't touch this movie. Are you nuts? John McTiernan? <laughs> so, the, so Liam Neeson and Ewan McGregor doesn't actually make me go I, I i think that's great sure well a don't remake this movie but b john mcfucking tiernan die hard john mctiernan i think he ended up remaking he remade thomas crown affair instead well that, i haven't seen either of those so i can't have an opinion on yeah. it but no the answer to this is no 
Why do that? I mean, there's no I I like Neeson, but there's no even in the nineties when he Remix. still when he Why? still gave a shit. Yeah. He was not ever gonna touch the greatness of ha- Orson Welles. Have you have you seen Widows? I have. Okay, we need to have a side conversation about Widows at some point because okay. I have some real issues with that movie. I wanted to like it so much. Do you want to do a quick sidebar here and then we'll I mean, because it's like, kind like of on a, air? because it's kind of a it's a noir. Well, I okay, and so the reason I get, I'll bring it up because I wanted that to be my recommend for this. Yeah, and we watched it, and I have two. Well, okay, no, I don't have two. I have one big issue with this movie, and it, it kept me from wanting to fully enjoy it, which is this: there's a whole side plot, very very brief, that um, Viola Davis and Liam Neeson, who are a married couple in the movie, have a son, who is black. Who was shot for being pulled after being pulled over for I think speeding by white police officers? It has absolutely nothing to do with the actual plot of the movie or even the side plot with uh, uh, Brian Tyree Henry and um, Colin Farrell. It has nothing to do with either of those two plots. Other it, than it, it's sort of the I guess was probably the beginning of the end of their marriage. Sh- I think that's the only reason it's there to sure, show that. But, but their son could have died in any way. And it's not that I don't think that it is an important subject. It is absolutely an important subject. But to make it almost a throwaway moment, I thought was a, a disservice to both the subject matter and to the film. And in the hands of Gillian Flynn, who wrote Gone Girl, and Steve McQueen, who directed three a- 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 amazing movies, I felt like, why are you guys doing this? The movie is not about this, and I don't understand why it's in here. I also didn't like the whole subplot with Liam Neeson. I thought that was stupid. But um, yeah. I, I wanted to like this movie so So did I. Bad. And, 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 and it, I, th- I think that that Viola Davis and Michelle Rodriguez, probably the best she's ever been, and the tall blonde, I can't, I don't know what her name is, but there were there were so many great, even I, I thought Colin Farrell and Brian, Ty, Brian Tyree Henry, every time they were in a scene together, I was fucking, and Daniel Kaluuya making the guys do the, the rap, I was like, fuck. He's frightening. There were that. some great scenes in the movie and it just, it, it, it it wanted to be about too much, yeah. and it didn't work for me. Well, it's also based on a British miniseries, and they're trying to scale down six hours of TV to two hours. And well, it didn't work. It didn't. It did not work. I was not. I didn't hate it, but it's also okay. Ah, meh. I'm gonna forget it, about this and movie it, well, in six and it months. It opens so that them the 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 heist going wrong. That's incredible. Oh, it was awesome, but yeah. it didn't live up to my. Anyways, um, coming back to yes. Third Man. Yes. Oh, please do. <laughs> Who'd you who'd you say Cary Grant was a he was a choice James I think James Stewart was also a choice for uh, Cary Grant was in line for Holly Martin's yeah so was uh, so was Jimmy Stewart I could see Jimmy Stewart doing it yeah that would have been good but uh, I think I think Selznick already had Joseph Cotton under contract and so he he could get him cheap I do like I you know I, I, it sounds like um, from everything that I've read that Selznick kind of be a prick um, but I I did like his contribution to the film. The big one about the ending, because <laughs> I I don't think this movie needs to end happily. No, and the, the novella has a different ending. Yes, that's right. Yeah, um, uh, which I don't know why. Why? What do you need to make a happy ending for? They imply a happy ending. Oh my god, though that that last shot is real good. And coming back to Scorsese again, instantly thought of the end of The Departed, where he's like, "What about the baby?" And she walks away, and she walks away directly at camera. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, that's no, not because it's even end. it's not even the dead end of the movie. No, no, no. Because yeah, yeah. but it it frame it's it's almost framed in the same sort of but, manner. But it, it, yes, but the the length of the walk, like we just sit there and it's the agonizing. leaves are falling and it's gorgeous. And 
I don't remember if on first viewing I thought she would stop, but I, it's more effective on the first viewing, of course. But when she keeps going, it's just like, and then he's just, and he he's such a, again, he's such a helpless kind of wanderer that there's almost no reaction from him. Well, yeah, he's going to miss the plane again. It's just it's just to get turned down. Man, it, yeah, it, it's it's a good touch. I love I, it. It's it's kind of like Casablanca-like in that sort of way. Well, I, I kind of like, again, tying back to Ebert, what Ebert said about the similarities between these movies. War, uh, the, uh, uh, a couple sort of torn by war, and but this is the more, in a way, it's even more bleak, even though I think Casablanca is more dramatic. Right. No, this is hands down more bleak. Uh, and I love the, that's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie as well, is when Calloway says to him, well, be sensible, you know, when he wants to get out of the car and go go to Anna. Be sensible, Martins. I, I can't. I don't have a sensible name. <laughs> I love I'll dig in, I like when they can, you throw in little bits of humor that makes fun of like, how, like Reynolds Woodcock in Phantom Thread. What a ridiculous, anybody who thinks Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't have a sense of humor, he came up with that character's name. That has not one, but two references, two phallic references in it. Reynolds Woodcock. It's fantastic. I love that name. There should be more characters with names like that in movies. And Holly Martins. And there's another great line I love as well. They're talking about, well, I'm thinking about my favorite lines in the movies. Um, Harry didn't grow up. The world grew up around him. That's a, that's a very telling detail about how she views him versus what who he actually is. Yeah, and just some and also just some very great noir lines. Death is at the bottom of everything. Leave it to the professionals. We should have dug deeper than a grave. No. There's just just great, nice, oh, snappy yeah. noir so, dialogue. So for me, I was thinking about this film in the in the in its its place in the history of film noirs, and what I think about when I think about French film noir stuff like Rafifi or uh, Elevator of the Gallows or uh, even even um, the 400 Blows has a sort of noir sensibility about it. I sure. think they've got all the style, you know what I mean? And then you have American noirs where you have the quick, witty, the snappy plots and the great dialogue stuff. We we covered, obviously, Maltese Falcon. Yep. We're both huge admirers of Double Indemnity. Oh, yeah. But this seems to be like the apex of all of that. It brings together all the great noir tropes while also having the the rich style with the quick witty dialogue, which I think it's it it tops the list for me. Third Man comes right in above Double Indemnity and well, and, uh, and it, Touch of Evil for it, the greatest noirs of all time. And it what it does too, which I think is very interesting, is it it inverts the idea of the the strong leading man. Like there's no Humphrey Bogart in this. It's, yeah, we, we don't follow, have... We follow the kind of the hapless sap. We follow Holly Martins. We're not following Harry Lime. We follow the the guy who doesn't quite know what he's doing. Yeah, this isn't a hard-boiled detective or a PI who's seen it all and done it all, and now his world is going to get turned upside down. Yeah. No, this is just a, what are you doing here, man? Nobody wants you here. Yeah. Get the fuck out of Vienna. And, and it's great. It, it's, I think what I like about him, too, is that it'd be like if, if you know... If I went over, let's say you were you were on holiday in, in England and I and for some reason I was coming over to see you. Oh, I got a job for you and I came over and I found out you were dead. It'd be like me, who knows nothing about this, trying to figure out what happened to you. Like it it, just, it feels in a way it feels very genuine because like well, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, but I, yeah, I he committed to He doesn't want to believe that his friend is dead either. I've come all this way. I need no, I need some closure, right? And the closure of course spirals. Yeah. Exactly. Completely out of his control. I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I, I, I think I, Guy Hamilton's my unsung hero. Um, do, I don't know. What's I your think, favorite shot? Do you have a favorite shot? I, I think it's, I mean, pick anything down in the tunnels. I mean, I do love the shot of, of Carol Reed's fingers coming up through the grates and that, that last 
I got so excited there. We're having equipment issues. <laughs> issues? We're having personal issues. Per- personnel issues. <laughs> Bring in my understudy. Okay, he's in. Yeah, okay. All right, here we go. No, the, the fingers coming up through the grate is fantastic. You know, just all that stuff, the way that they, they catch him in the spotlight and he turns around, it's that quick, dynamic turnaround and he's silhouetted against the, the spotlight down there in those tunnels. Yeah. Uh, all of that is just fantastic. I can't believe that Orson Welles didn't go down there. What a, what a prima donna. I think if I have to pick like a, a shot, I really like the, even though we find out later it's just a guy with balloons, I love the, the oversized shadow that comes into play there. Yeah, yeah. My favorite scene though, the Ferris will hands down. Oh, it's incredible! It's fucking awesome. And it, the cuckoo clock dialogue yeah. and the the complaining of the indigestion. I should have asked you to bring some of these tablets over. That's great. Yeah. yeah. This this this. It's funny because this movie does have such an air of. It, it, it's almost. It feels like maybe because it's number one on the British Film Institute list, but it, it has that air of Citizen Kane around it. I feel like like the but third. But it's also man, so it, understated. Which which is weird, and it, it's not as it's not heavy. It's not a heavy film. Like heavy moments. But not a heavy film, and it's it's weird. I think it, it, we need to start like a campaign. Be like the third man is is silly. It, it's not. It, it there's there's hard moments in it, but it's it's fun. It does feel like a caper. Yeah. It's not like we're not. There's a lot of that that British the wit to it. Yeah, that, exactly. That, again, exactly. we talked about it being disarming, and it, it almost when you when you think about in the same way that you feel when when somebody okay, so Citizen Kane is the number one film on the AFI's top one hundred, and, and you go, yeah, that makes sense. And I, I feel that way with, with Third Man as well. It's like, I, that, I don't bulk at that. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It just, it feels right. <laughs> While we're talking about the silliness of you campaigning for people to view it not so seriously, the, the stuff with the parrot, <laughs> getting bit by the parrot. And when he tells, Cal, the, when he tells Callaway that he's been bitten by the, the, the parrot and he's like don't be so foolish I, I love how he dismisses that so easy and, yeah. the, and the bit with the, the magic lantern show you know with the project and they've got the wrong slides and the projector yeah. and stuff like that there, there is a, a great there is a great wit that runs through this film that you know you may not appreciate on first viewing this is third man is definitely not a you're a one and done. There's no. a lot to peel back. Well, and I, and there's so much, I, I mean, and I don't, I don't necessarily want to go down any of these tangents necessarily, but you know, there's the stuff with, uh, that, you know, um, you know, the, the Porter ends up dying and, and, and why, and, uh, and the stuff with the little kid who basically is trying to out Holly Martins as the guy who did it. And, um, there, there's just so many things that you, you might f- forget that happen. And, 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 I, I agree. This is one that definitely demands rewatch. So, Ian, if it feels so right, does this does the third man belong in the book? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, in the same way that last week I talked about Good, the Bad, and the Ugly being the we're we're two for two in in number ones within their genres. Sure. Like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly being the greatest western of all time. I do believe this is the greatest noir of all time. See, and now it's like, is it is it greatest or favorite? Or both. It's, because, it's both. Because I think Double Indemnity is my favorite noir. And that's and that makes sense, too. Yeah. I can't quibble that at all. I'm but I, really I, excited but I, to get to that episode. I understand Greatest, though, and I, I know what you mean by that, too. Because I, I, we've talked about this before when we did the Apocalypse episode. I don't want to be so arrogant as to assume that my top ten of all time is the great. I have my favorite and the greatest list. And there's some overlap. Yeah. Third Man and Good, the Bad, and the Ugly would be two films that would overlap into both sure. greatest and favorite I, lists. I get you. Yeah. yeah I hear so you. we're we're batting two for two on on great movies. Well, there you go. In these in these weeks. Um. So it's official. The Third Man should be in the book. But as 
always, we would like to know what you think. So please find us on Facebook and on Twitter and hit us up. Let us know. You can support the show at patreon.com slash a thousand and one by one. If you're listening, you're probably using such wonderful apps as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Play and Stitcher and who knows how many other places you can find us right now. Um, so please listen, like, subscribe, comment, all of those things. Uh, we love doing this and uh, we love interacting with you all. So thank you. And until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.